0: Come on, we're selfish. I know you may think an internet community is a community, but it's not. It's still you sitting at home jerking off. You understand? <laughs> I mean, what is at the what is at the core of American culture right now? Porn, poker, ultimate fighting, and reality shows. That's fucking it. How selfish is that? Fucking without feeling, lying to make money, fighting without rules, and rewarding hackneyed fucking losers where talent should be. How is that fucking not depleted and bankrupt? Fuck reality shows. Fuck American Idol. Even if you like it, in a tongue-in-cheek way, you are part of the problem. The only way American Idol could be interesting is if they shot the losers. (laughs) Just right at the peak of that hackneyed high note that just... Pop a fucking 357 shell right through the back of their head So their face splatters all over Simon and Paula and the fat guy And For that wonderful moment when that's just a haircut and a bloody hole toppling to the floor Then we'll see who's really talented, who stays in the game Everyone thinks you're a fucking star now. Giving people record deals off American Idol is like, you know, pulling up next to somebody who's singing in their car and saying, hey, good job, here's 50 bucks. Sounds good. (laughs) Lack of originality is astounding. People are so easily impressed because they think it could be them. It's fucking ridiculous. Music Life Radio. Radio. (laughs) Stories at the intersection of music and life.
1: You just listened to a clip from Mark Marin, well known comedian and host of WTF Podcast. Mark was recently in the San Francisco Bay Area for a string of shows at the legendary Purple Onion in San Francisco, a garage rock and comedy club. Mark came on down to Music Life Radio Studios where we had a nice conversation about music. Mark's actually quite a good guitar player. You'll get to check out a little bit of his playing later on. But without further ado, here is Mark Marin on Music Life Radio. I am your host, Dan Sauter.
0: So how was the show last night, Mark? show is great. Uh, the Purple Onion, I, I'd heard about it. It's a legendary venue, and I had no idea what I was getting into, but it is perfect. Perfect for, for stand-up because it's in a basement. It's got low ceilings. It's uh, dirty. Uh, it has not been altered since the 50s. I think the guy who owns it's got some sort of uh, – it's, it's a national landmark. And apparently, if you don't do anything – you don't have to do anything, but yeah. as soon as you fix one thing, then you have to get it up to code. So he's pretty committed to not doing <laughs> anything uh, for financial reasons, but by virtue of that, you've got it in its pristine state. Like the 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 purple onion has not been altered that much since the Smothers Brothers played there, or or Pryor, or Lenny Bruce, or Mortsall and it definitely has that vibe. When when I saw my friend Kyle, who was opening for me on stage from the side, it looked like those photographs from the from the fifties and sixties of of stand-up clubs, uh, or like the, like the Purple Onion or the Hungry Eye, or it just has a classic sort of feel.
1: Wow, that's really cool. There's got to be some interesting energy coming from
0: that. Club. I'd like to think so because I believe in that kind of shit. Uh, I I do think that it, it does have a, a certain integrity to it, and there's certainly some good ghosts in there, and it definitely had a vibe.
1: Thanks, Mark, for coming down and, and being a part of Music Live Radio.
0: My pleasure, Dan. I, I hope I can, uh, to live up to the Music Live issues.
1: <laughs> well, that you can, I'm sure. Uh, now I've listened to your podcast. I've listened to every episode. It's great. And a lot of times you've come up and talked about music. In fact, you even had an episode that was almost dedicated to music.
0: Sure. Where you interviewed, uh. Brendan uh, Small, right? Yeah. And Brett uh, Netson. Brett Netson from uh, Built to Spill. Built to hung Spill. Hung out a little bit. I'd like to do more musicians. Uh, they're, they're sort of random with me because I don't, I don't run in that world. So I have to sort of, uh, t- find them when they come. But Brendan Small, I knew, uh, from comedy, but he's also a, a first-rate noodler. Yeah, you know, he's a, a real shredder on guitar, and he does Metalocalypse, so I thought it would be a good opportunity to sit and uh, do some guitar talk. I just yes. had this idea that if I gave him a guitar and tried to talk to him, it would be funny, but then we ended up kind of switching off and I know. You know, I'm learning some things. Yeah, yep. But it was great. I've been playing guitar a long time, you know, privately. <laughs> I don't, uh, I don't do it publicly. I don't know why. I think it has to do with a, a bad experience I had when I was younger.
1: Really? How did you uh, start playing guitar?
0: I don't know. You know, I wanted to play an instrument and I wanted to play guitar. So my brother and I, uh, started taking lessons and my mother used to uh, make us you know practice a certain amount of time a day so i just remember like sitting in a room with my brother with these two giant acoustic guitars well he had a like a yamaha classical which was a good way to start and i had this old harmony that my dad had owned this big with the f holes and this yeah Yeah. and uh we just sit there and we'd we'd figured out how many songs we had to play how many times to get through the time that my mother made us practice and then as uh i got older I, I got a little more into it and I started taking lessons with a guy that taught me how, uh, you know, he taught me a few pentatonic scales and taught me the basic, um, blues scales. And that's where it sort of stopped for me. Then I, I'm basically a, a, uh, blues, dirty rock, country player with, with a, a good feel for a guitar. But I, I think that, you know, my ability to, to really learn new things or to go beyond these pentatonics is, is, is limited, but, you know, if I'm just playing to Muddy Waters records in my garage, I don't think the pressure's really on.
1: True, true. <laughs> Was your dad a guitar player?
0: I think he had played around with it at some point and just held on to the guitar. He was, he wasn't really a good guitar player. Uh I just always loved music and I I for some reason gravitated to blues music and early rock and roll because that's what my dad was into. Like he used to play uh the soundtrack of American Graffiti graffiti almost compulsively. So all of my initial experiences with music were, you know, Buddy Holly, The Big Bopper, uh and uh you know, The Sha Na Na, I guess later and and whatever was on that that CD, or it wasn't even a CD, it was an 8-track. I just remember listening to oldies, you know, interspersed with that giant chunky clink, that click you know, that yeah. you're going to the second one. <laughs> And, uh, you know, that's where it came from. Then I got into the Beatles. And then for some reason, the first records I owned were like uh, the Beatles' second album, uh, a mountain album for some reason. Uh, and then their old records, Creedence Clearwater Revival and like Jerry Vale. And then they had albums like uh, Janis Joplin's Pearl was around and Melanie. It was a weird collection of stuff that was around the Beatles, let it be. But I still sort of gravitated to very basic rock and roll and blues.
1: Really? Mm-hmm. What are your uh, favorite uh, bands of the time when you were growing
0: up? When I was growing up, I, I, it's—I really had this obsession with Chuck Berry for some reason. I—I I, I don't know why. I just—I was so engaged with the way that he uh, that that opening lick, which has become sort of hackneyed and, and no one really cares about it anymore. But it was my life's work to try to figure out how to do that, and I just never really knew how to do it—the—the—the the, the basic Chuck Berry riff. And then when I was in like—I uh, think a freshman in high school—I was in a stage band that I like. I couldn't stay in because I refused to learn how to read music and I was supposed to be playing bass and I don't know. It was a disaster, but there was a guitar player there, this guy, Adolf, this Latino guy, and he showed me how to do that Chuck Berry opening and that changed my life. And then from there on, I, I don't know. I, I just, uh, I have found for myself being not a professional musician that, you know, if I can play with feeling with the, as best I can, I think that's the great thing about rock and roll is that. You know, if you can own those chords, those three chords or four chords or those four notes, uh, if you can, if you can get what you need to get out through those notes on your own, if the feeling is there, it doesn't really matter how good a guitar player you are, does it?
1: Yeah. I think a lot of music for me is just the emotion behind it all. I'm really into Nirvana and I can't really understand anything uh, Kurt Cobain's singing about, but I can sure feel there's something there. He's yeah. really, you can just, it's just this message is coming through. Sure,
0: he's a real deal. He runs yeah. pretty deep. Yeah. I, I have come, you know, I like a lot of different kinds of music and I've I've been through a lot of different kind of music periods and I, I have a, it, it, you know, it depends how I feel. You, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll go jazz. I'll go bebop. I'll go country. I'll go raw. I'll go. It doesn't matter. I, I don't, I tend to draw a line at metal only because I have nothing against it. It just doesn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a big shredding fan. I mean, I, I do like some great guitar players. I like, uh, you know, some fast blues or some fun. I, I can appreciate it, but I don't, uh, I don't listen to it. I try so I know what's going on. Like, I like Zeppelin. I love AC/DC, I like Nirvana. I like the Stooges. I mean, those oh, yeah. are people I it's go that. back to. Love Tom Petty. It really depends how I feel.
1: Yeah. For me, uh, there are a lot of really technical guitar players, and I can appreciate it, but it's the ones that are really just playing from their heart, and you can kind of... You know, feel it out when you're listening to the music. That wow, yeah. there's something going on. I had this
0: thing, I had this obsession in my head that, like, I wouldn't be a good blues guitar player until I could own "Rolling and Tumbling" by Chuck by uh, Muddy Waters. Like, I, I decided that there were these songs that you had to know how to make your own in order to really call yourself a, a, a good. Uh, blues player because <laughs> it doesn't matter how fast or how it, it doesn't matter what licks you know i mean because if you listen to albert king you listen to some of those guys they're not that complicated mm-hmm. but there's a feeling there and there's a phrasing there that's important so i got really hung up on that trying to figure out how to play rolling and tumbling without being a slide player and making it my own and there's some other songs i get very hung up on uh for reasons i don't really know right now i'm, I'm a little hung up on uh the Long Black Veil that, you know, that Johnny Cash covered, but the band also did a cover of it. And it, for some reason, it makes me cry. And, uh, I've been playing that a lot. And I've been playing, uh, Bob Dylan's version of Karina Karina, which is a traditional blues song. I think they got me through my uh, divorce. It became very important to uh, have a, a two or three blues songs that spoke <laughs> to the pain that I was feeling. And so I could play them in my house yeah. and, uh, and move through the feeling. So I, I think the guitar becomes very hands on. Uh, therapeutic.
1: Here's a sample of Johnny Cash, Long Black Veil.
0: Ten years ago, on a cold, dark night, someone was killed beneath the town hall lights. There were few at the scene, but they all agreed that the slayer who ran looked a lot like me. Now she walks In a long black veil, she visits my grave when the night winds wail. Nobody knows, nobody sees, nobody knows but me.
1: For me, just getting out there and playing and singing, it just is like a cathartic experience where I can really get rid of. Some uh, maybe some negative energy that I'm feeling, or just you know it's like a cleansing almost,
0: yeah, no, I feel that too. I wish I played more in front of people. I got to get you know put a group of guys together because I've never really learned how to do that with any comfort. It's not so much that i'm uh, I'm afraid about my playing or even my singing, but I get into an energy I've never you know like I I've spent a lot of years on the stand up stage, so I have a comfort zone up there, but for some reason when I'm playing music with other people i'm i I tend to like immediately start sweating a lot, yeah. it's really embarrassing <laughs> i. I can't even explain it. Like, if I'm playing with a bunch of guys and I'm playing guitar, like, literally within, you know, 10 or 15 minutes, I'm drenched in sweat and I'm not even doing anything. Mm. And I don't have experience with that in any other part of my life. I mean, even if I work out, but I'm not even working out. I, I don't, I don't know what the nervousness is. I don't know where it comes from. I don't know if it's because, if it's a good thing, but it's, it's certainly, you know, it's not attractive. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you ever uh, thought about maybe going to therapy to see if what would be possibly triggering that?
0: Yeah, I, I, I don't know. It seems sort of specific. You know, mm-hmm. I think what it is, is that the energy of, of playing with other guys and, and sort of keeping up and feeling like, you, you know, I never learned how to, cause most of the music I like, it's, it's fairly subtle in the sense that, the best parts of of playing with a few other cats is is everybody sort of does their part mm-hmm. and you kind of fill in you know you kind of you know like the stones man i mean big stones guy that it's all about those those spaces, you know, and who's going to fill the space. I think there's part of me when I'm uh, playing with other people that thinks I have to do everything and stay on top of it uh-huh. and stay loud and, you know, the volume comes up and and I'm overcompensating. I think it's just a, a chasing something as opposed to being comfortable, you know, there's a, a anxiousness to it. Perhaps
1: worrying that you're going to let the team down almost. Uh,
0: something like that or that yeah. like there's, oh, no, it's like there's no sound. Yeah, you know, I'm just not a, a professional musician. Yeah, yeah. I think that if I were to play with guys weekly and, and and pick a few songs to work through, that uh I also think I'm a little insecure about my skills. Yeah, you know, I can only play a certain type of music, but I have a good feel. But I don't oh. know a lot of songs. I, I'm I'm one of these people that I, I just played to you know express myself. I mean, once I learned very basic things, I, I I'll do that. But if it gets complicated, I'm not great at learning songs. Mm. I'm not great at learning riffs. And if I learn a blues riff, I'll just kind of work it and work it and work it until I integrate it into my own little uh, repertoire. And I, but I don't learn songs, uh, and I think that's mm-hmm. another thing. And I do comedy the same way; it's very impulsive, very reactive. Uh, y- you know, I have bits that I do, but I don't know when I'm going to do them. And with music, it's really great if you learn something that you can do over and over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, I do that with comedy, but I don't really do it with music. Like I'm trying to uh, learn. Uh, uh, yeah, an ac- I'm trying to do an acoustic version of Highway to Hell, and I got the tabs for it, and you know, working yeah. on that. I, I feel a little embarrassed because it's a music show, and I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not really a musician in the in the in the real sense, but yeah, I can play okay.
1: Yeah, this the show is uh, really just about people's musical experiences, that it's not necessarily even musicians. I've had people that can't play a note on anything, uh, and interviewed them, and they're just
0: fans of music. Well, I, I'm certainly a fan, and I like, I find that. Like, I used to do Conan O'Brien a lot, and Jimmy Favino is a great guitar player. He's a guitar player for Max Weinberg. And every time I'd do Conan O'Brien, he'd give me one of his guitars to hang out with in the in the dressing room. Yeah. Like, these great, like, you know, 50s, you know, strats and these, you know, amazing guitars. <laughs> and then he'd always show me a lick. You know, like, I'd go to him with, like, you know, how do you do that thing that Albert King does? And he'd just be like, oh, that's easy. And he'd show it to me. And I'd be like, oh, my God, it's a doorway into a whole other world. And, and then, like, once I learned these little pieces, um... They really, it's very exciting to, because it's not that hard, but I don't, I'm not a guy that sits and figures it out on my own, but if somebody shows it to me, I'm like, that's amazing. And then I'll go play the hell out of it. Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah when I first started playing music I took about a month of lessons with an old blues guy and uh, I was pl- playing bass at the time and I tell you what because maybe for about three or four months before that I hadn't taken any lessons but when someone shows you some things it just opens up a whole new world yeah it's amazing <laughs>
0: about music that like you know one lick can be like it, it, it just it's like magic I mean mm-hmm. that I always talk about that with comedy it's like people say that it's it, it's like music in a way but it's not like music at all I mean you know you don't have anyone up there with you there's no you know community Effort going on. Uh, you know, you're relegated to, to telling stories or doing jokes in a way, maybe uh, improvising, which I do. But music, every time, man, it's like magic. There's no explaining why you can hear the same song over and over again, and it'll still bring you to that place in your heart or in your mind that, that takes you out of the world or takes you into a certain emotion. And it's, it's pretty fascinating. So I always think that, you know, comedy sort of a trick. It's about, you know, it's about, about jokes and beats, but it's not many people want to hear the same joke over and over again, but certain people can hear the same song over and over again. I mean, I can, I'll yeah. play the hell out of a song if it gets me off.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned on your podcast, uh, one of the episodes where you had the song, it was stuck in your head and, and you would just keep playing it over and over and
0: over. Yeah. Again. It was that, uh, I think it was a Delta spirit song. Yeah. That yeah. trash can song. Yeah. yeah. There's some good, I, I don't, you know, I, it's hard for me to keep up with a lot of music, but, uh, there's certain like, Music. I mean, like that song was, was kicking my ass for a while. That song, Trash Can. And then I was Kings of Leon was going. There's certain music I always go back to. I seem to go back to ACDC a lot. I don't, I don't even know why. It's just, it's so pure.
1: It, it is. Yeah. It's great.
0: And I go back to Nirvana a lot. I listen yeah. to, uh, to the unplugged a lot. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, I really like AC/DC. I went and bought out, you know, their box collection that came out, and uh, and I'm a, a huge fan of the Bon Scott era stuff. But I also like, you know, the Brian Johnson stuff. It's just, uh,
0: I like the too- first one. Yeah, like I, 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 yeah, I kind of lose him after that. Yeah, yeah. I, his voice annoys me. I ended up seeing ACDC by accident, and before I liked them when yeah. I was in high school.
1: How did that happen?
0: I don't know. I was going like I was hanging out with a bunch of dudes at like Journey. Like, yeah. you know, my friend Dave. He was like this. Huge, he's a great guitar player. That guy passed away but uh but he loved journey so we ended up we were going to see journey i must have been 15 uh at the civic auditorium in albuquerque new mexico and and acdc with Bon scott was opening how is that even possible when, when, i hope when, my memory serves me when was that well uh, been, uh, 1977 maybe Ah, okay wow 76 is that possible 76 i was 13 it was probably 77 or 78 and yeah. it must have been a pretty early tour but yeah. I just remember just, you know, seeing Bon Scott and not knowing what the hell was this. <laughs> and I, I wish I had had a deeper appreciation of them then. Cause like I grew to love them a lot as I got older. I came to a lot of things later. Like I, I, you know, there were certain points in my life where, where you, you hear about somebody and how important they are. And then it's sort of like, well, I better figure out why. Mm-hmm. Like I remember doing that with the doors. I remember doing that with the stooges, like the stooges, like by, it was probably 19, shit 89 or 90 where like I just got turned on to uh, uh to, I remember listening to Iggy Pop's um, The Idiot in college but I never it was a real Stooges guy and then I just started playing the Stooges and I and I can't live without him now same with the MC5 um, Velvet Underground I was a huge fan of Velvet Underground in college because someone turned me on to them and then I got really immersed in that and I just I've had to go back because I'm a weird age I'm 46 Yeah, you know, I miss the 60s I even missed the early 70s for the most part. Mm-hmm. So by the time I was listening to Zeppelin and any of those bands, I mean, they'd already peaked out in a way. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of backtracking, but they never seemed to go away. I mean, when I was in high school, it was like, I remember when Van Halen's album, first album came out, like it was insane. Like every car in the parking lot, was, yeah. it, had doors open, <laughs> Jensen Triaxle was just pumping out <laughs> eruption. Like you would walk out and it was just like, it was like, a, like something mystical had happened. It had changed the entire game. I remember when the first uh, Dire Straits album came out. It was like, what the hell is this? And then, of course, there was Foreigner. I remember when Hot Blooded came out. I was in high school then. And there was a lot of heart around. I mean, it was a weird time for music because, you know, disco was crashing, new wave was coming up. You know, punk was starting to come around, but it hadn't really integrated itself into the, you know, the archetypes of of high school. You know, in my high school, there was, you know, still the jocks, there was the freaks. And then there were a couple of dudes that liked, you know, punk rock. And you're like, you know, where is that coming from? So that was 77, 76. And then uh, I remember when the Knack's My Sharona happened, and it was just, that was all over the place. (laughs) But I remember that happened with Nirvana too when I was in uh when I was in New York, but I, was, I wasn't I was in high school, obviously. That must have been 89. When was the first Nirvana album? Around 98?
1: 88, 89. Right. Yeah, uh, Bleach that was, Problem, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, not Bleach, but Nevermind. No, uh,
1: Nevermind came out around 91.
0: Right, mm-hmm. so I was living in New York City then, and that thing was everywhere. You couldn't, you know, it was like yeah. just blaring everywhere. It was like the same thing with the Van Halen thing. It's like, oh, my God, there's been some sort of primal shift mm-hmm. in, in popular music, and you couldn't, you couldn't deny it. And then I got all the sub pop stuff. I got all that stuff. When Nirvana came out, I was just on top of, you know, everything they put out. And yeah, it was like that. a
1: gateway to another world again. I mean, I grew up in Seattle. I was going to the Coast Guard Academy at the time I had gone back on a summer break. And this guy gives me a tape. It was their Nirvana's Bleach album. On, and, uh, I think, uh, Sub Pop 200, which is an early collection of their, mu- of Sub Pop bands. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I played it and I was like, what is this? I just didn't get it. Yeah. And then I listened to it a few more times and I go, wow, this is really amazing.
0: Yeah, I loved all those guys, yeah. man. I mean, uh, you know, um, who was uh, the Vaseline's, Eugenius, the, the Screaming Trees, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in the Mark Lanigan? Is that his name?
1: Mark that, Lanigan, yeah, yeah, his, his solo his...
0: stuff. Uh, Caius was around, yeah. and you know, Soundgarden, and um, yeah, I, I just, and Dinosaur Jr. Man, I went through a serious Dinosaur Jr. thing. Yeah, they were mm-hmm. huge in that, and then, uh, um, a Qu- uh, pavement. All that stuff. I mean, I listen to the hell of that, out of that stuff. I don't go back to a lot of it though. I go back to Soundgarden. Mm -hmm. I go back to Nirvana. I go back to, well, you, I think the Vaseline's became Eugenius and I like a couple of their albums. And I go back to um, Dinosaur Junior. occasionally, but uh, I don't go back to Pavement much. I like listening to it, but it doesn't. Still, the stuff I go back to seems to be the stuff I listened to in high school, mm-hmm. or The Stooges, or The Velvet Underground. I still listen to The Stones pretty regularly. I was at the gym the other day. I, I plowed through uh, Appetite for Destruction, the whole album. It was yeah, great. That's a great album. <laughs> yeah, it's great. I mean, at Zeppelin. I'll go back to uh, mm-hmm. you know, Physical Graffiti and Houses of the Holy, and I'll and, and the ACDC is always there. And Tom Petty, for some reason, is. Pretty uh, ever present.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, what was one of your uh, favorite shows to go check out? I know you mentioned AC/DC. Do you have any other moments of being at any live shows that really changed your life?
0: I saw the Grateful Dead in like '84. Um, took a bunch of mushrooms. That was pretty amazing. I lived with Deadheads for a couple of years, so I've definitely got a, a gear in my uh, musical machine that you know definitely locks into that. And that was pretty amazing. I think it was because of the mushrooms and because they did Warfrat and it was a long shot that they would do it. And it's a weird dead song, and it's one of my favorites. So that, that was a pretty exciting moment. I saw Van Halen on the first tour, but I I think I I ended up throwing up yeah you know, somewhere <laughs> you know at the beginning of their set because you know I drank too much and some guy you know, I smoked some hash and it was not a good scene. I almost threw up on Bo Diddley too once. <laughs> uh, it was at the Lone Star in New York, and I was very excited to see him, but I drank too much and. I didn't get to see him because, because, uh, I got sick and threw up in the cab. Um, so those aren't really good stories. (laughs) I did see, uh, I did see Cracker here in uh, SF at, at Slim's. I saw the meat puppets there. Uh, that, that was pretty great. The meat puppets was was a good show. You know, it was an amazing thing that I saw. I was in Tucson, Arizona. I was visiting my brother when he was in college and the Tucson Blues Society, which, you know, who, who the hell knows what that even means? What they had John Hammond out. And it was literally like maybe 40 people in this room, and they had paid John Hammond to come play. And he's a pretty amazing guitar player. Mm-hmm. He's sort of an interesting character. You know, his dad was John Hammond Sr., the record executive signed, you know, Billie Holiday, Bob mm-hmm. Dylan. I mean, he's a pretty important guy. But John Hammond Jr. was a pretty earnest blues man. And, you know, his first couple albums are pretty great. And he just, he, he came out, uh and it, he he had a, st- a dobro, and he had a slide, and he did a spot-on version of Robert Johnson's "Hellhounds on My Trail." You know, sitting there with you know, this is a real booze man. Oh, that's cool. In uh, f- with forty people, it was it was just you know haunting and menacing and perfect, and and that was pretty amazing. Um, I saw the Stones in eighty one uh, on the uh, Tattoo U tour. That was great in Madison Square Garden. That was that was spectacular. But uh, those were those were pretty monumental for me. That's cool.
1: Let's get back to uh, your guitar playing. I think you did play a little bit of guitar when you were uh, on one of your episodes
0: with and, Brendan. Yeah,
1: yeah, and you seem like you could really hold your own. Here's a little clip of Mark playing guitar on his podcast. <laughs>
0: Like I can do that. You got it. Yeah. Ah! Have you thought about putting a band together and actually playing? I think about it all the time. Yeah, but like, where's the time? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I got a friend who's a drummer. He used to be a, a rock drummer, and he doesn't, you know, play much anymore. But he's a good drummer, and I know an okay bass player. Yeah, it's just sort of a matter of like, you know, you get into the rehearsal space. I was working with a, a harmonica player for a while, uh, where I was helping him sort of learn some stuff, and we'd go get a studio. He actually come from around here. His name is uh, is Jack huh. Jack Rudy. Yeah, he, he used to play, he, he, he learned from, uh, Charlie Musselwhite, who I think was out here for a while. Mm-hmm. But I was helping him do some, you know, work on some stuff and that was kind of fun. I, I, I just haven't done it. I, I think about it all the time. It's something I want to do before I die. And it seems like a fairly easy thing just to go easy and put a couple of guys together. Uh, but I haven't done it yet. I really want to do it. Maybe mm-hmm. I'll do it soon. I got to do it soon. I yeah. got good equipment. I mean, I don't have that many guitars, but I got a few. And uh, I'd love to do it. I just haven't done it yet.
1: Hey, well, let's get into gear. Uh, what kind of gear do you like to use? I mean, what's your preferred amp and your preferred guitar?
0: I've got John Mayer told me to get a Fender Blues, uh, Blues Junior, I think it is, because I was in New York and I wanted a little amp, and he was hanging around the comedy scene. I figured well, he's a good guy to ask, so I got one of those. I like those Fender tube amps. I've got a, I've got one of those, and I've got I think it's a it's a Tweed Vibroverb or maybe or yeah, I think that's <laughs> what it is. And then I generally. I generally plug right into it, you, you know. I plug, I play a, a Strat and I play a Telecaster, and I, I got a, a an old uh, a reissue of a, a Les Paul TV Junior that I like. But then I, I had an SG, but it was too much for me to deal with. And but usually it's Fenders directly into uh, one of those two amps.
1: Yeah, it's fairly. Uh- typical blues setup i think
0: yeah blues and country setup yeah, yeah yeah uh i used to have pedals i had a Crybaby Wah, but i i didn't really use it that much and i don't use any real boxes you uh-huh. know my my ex-wife had bought me a pod but it was it was gnarly and I, I never really wrapped my brain around it i just like a real clean sound maybe a little reverb a little, you know jack up the gain a little bit so it breaks apart just a bit but i like it pretty clean i like to be able to hear you know what kind of guitar i'm playing you know thunders yeah. are fairly distinct
1: you can pretty much dial up any sound that you want with just your amp and, you know, with a good amp and a, and a guitar. I found, uh, you know, when I've been playing in bands, I mean, you know, like our lead guitar player would have this whole pedal board full of stuff and he'd yeah. be stomping on stuff and spending more time <laughs> trying to deal with that. And, uh, the sound, you know, would be, you couldn't really tell much difference even on stage. I didn't think. And yeah. We, some
0: guys are, that's just becomes part of their instrument. You know, yeah. I, I had to realize that, you know, as technology advances that, It's just an extension. It becomes almost a different instrument. I mean, it's sort of fascinating when people know how to to loop things and make guitars sound like different things. But I I don't really, you know, it just becomes a different instrument. And I I just like playing it as clean as possible. I'm kind of a purist like that. it gets a little... Uh, you know complicated when you seem when you play with other people to balance the sound things get lost and i don't know how the volume gets so loud so quickly when you're playing <laughs> with other people but it certainly does
1: yes everybody tries to uh, make sure that they can hear themselves and they keep turning up and it's just like this uh, volume creep yeah loose. yeah and all of a sudden you it can't hear anything it's just a big wall of mess <laughs> yeah. Like when we we're in the practice studio and we're playing, we can the there's a threshold setting for the PA, and if you turn up the instruments too loud, you're not gonna be able to hear the vocals. And if you try to turn up the PA anymore, it just starts feeding back. And I think that's
0: another reason why I sweat. (laughs) Yeah, is because of that that constant building, and it just eventually comes out, it gets out of your control.
1: Pretty soon, this isn't fun anymore. It's just too loud.
0: I bought an interesting acoustic guitar recently. You know, I had a little bread, and I was like, you know, I I deserve a good acoustic guitar because I had this old, I had a K guitar. You know, from I don't. I'm sorry, from the 40 or 50s. It's just a little weird box of a guitar. I think I got it for 80 bucks uh, at Mojo Guitars in New York, but it's got a very distinct, you know, thin, weird sound. It's a cheapo mm-hmm. Sears guitar, I think, from from an old one though. But I I decided I can only play you know blues on it because it's got a very distinct, you know, kind of thin, weird, you know, like it's, it's, it sounds like you're playing a a box yeah. with strings <laughs> on it. But I like it. But I decided I didn't want a good acoustic guitar, so I went looking at some you know new. Gibson, um, what are they? 45s. What's that classic acoustic? Uh, the, I'm, not, I'm
1: not sure the Gibson's acoustic line.
0: Yeah. I was looking at the ones that were the, you know, the great, you know, uh, kind of guitars, you know, like Dylan mm-hmm. played and those and, and, and they don't sound, they all sounded sort of muted and I like a big sound. And, mm-hmm. and I guess, you know, I got this explanation, like, you know, they, they don't, you can't find old wood anymore. And you know, it's all new. <laughs> really? It was like a lot yeah. of talk. And I, 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 I just didn't buy a new one. I went to a vintage place and I found this weird old Gibson. I think it's called the FJ. And, or a vintage folk uh, jumbo it, it, it's this big huge body guitar they only made it for like five years in the 60s and it's got like a two a double pick guard, a white pick guard. and it's got this weird short neck it's a classical neck and they they made them to sort of, you know, uh let people who were used to playing classical folk guitar, you know, move into steel string. So it's this big jumbo folk body with this stubby classical neck, this fat neck. Hmm. And it was hard to, you know, figure I bought it cuz it sounded so damn good. And then it, like it was hard to sort of adjust to the neck, but once I did it, it's like the greatest sounding guitar I've ever had. Hmm. It was kind of screwed up when I bought it. I was kind of mad at the guys that sold it to me because it had a buzz in it, wow. and I couldn't get the buzz out. And you know, I, I can only play one way, and, and then they, they tried to adjust the truss, and they added different strings, but it still buzzed, and I thought I'd been ripped off, I thought I got a lemon. And then Jimmy Favino from the Conan O'Brien Show hooked me up with his guy Izzy, this this little wizard. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I ended up breaking the, the bridge. And then, you know, like he, he glued the bridge. He adjusted it. He told me what strings I needed to get to, you know, to serve the guitar and, and to do the way I play it. Now it's perfect. I love guys that are just wizards like that.
1: Yeah. They're good to have around. Aren't they? Yeah. It's a little
0: hyperactive, kind of like, you know, focused dude that can yeah. fix anything.
1: I always ask my guests on the show, and we've kind of alluded to this a little bit, but what does music mean to you? I mean, what does it bring to the table? What gets
0: you excited? what does what it what does it mean to you? Well, the one thing I know about music is that you know I used to talk about the iPod as almost like a an IV drip that you know, depending on how I feel or how I want to feel, there's music that can get me there. there There's music that can get me there like you know like a drug. like there's music that can take me back to a place in my life that can recapture a feeling I once had at a different time in my life where I was listening to that music that, you know, I can almost, I can time travel, you know, with music emotionally time travel. And, and I can also, you know, find a tremendous amount of relief like blues music or like if I'm feeling, uh, down or angry or unmotivated, if I put on ACDC, you know, there's certain two or three songs that I know will jack my brain chemistry into a place where it'll make it go away, and same with the blues. That you know, I can you know interpret uh, if I play them, I can interpret my own emotions and and put them out there in a way that that sort of disarms them and 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 allows me to process them. So I can use music to get high. I can get use music to uh, to to think. Like if I put on you know uh, you, you know Miles Davis or Monk or somebody like that or if i want to get into that pace where you know just sort of a a, a, a lyrical improvisational background thing you know that that sort of motivates me or creates a, a certain feeling in me i can do that i just think it's it's magic and once you you know ha, you know know which spells you want to put on yourself and who's capable of doing that you know you could either time travel you could change your disposition or you could uh you know experience your sadness without being overwhelmed by it
1: yeah, very cool. Hmm. Uh, I want to talk about your podcast just a little bit. The intro music at the beginning, when you first started, I think it was ACDC yeah. uh, riff. And then eventually you put out uh, a call to arm, so to speak, for musicians to submit. Uh Can you tell us a little bit about the, what you have as the theme song now and how that was created?
0: Yeah, we had ACDC Down Payment Blues for a while, but we kept worrying about getting in trouble. Yeah. So, you know, I love that riff. That's it's a great, it's a great, uh, yeah. it's powerful man. <laughs> so yeah, well, so I just basically gave a you know, shout out to the fans. I said, look, you know, we need a new theme song and a lot of stuff came in, you know, more than I could handle. Uh, a lot of people sent music in and you know, I listened to all of it and I just, a lot of it was great and we ended up using some of it on the, uh, the best of WTF CD. Uh, to, you know, to throw a bone to the people that, that, that contributed. We used some of the music on there. But the one that I got that, that moved me, I just kept listening and I sort of, you know, brought it down to about five or ten, uh, submissions. And I just liked that feel of that one that I used. And it's this bass player in, uh, Brooklyn named, uh, John Montagna. And he just, it was, it, it had a drive to it. It had a rhythm to it. It almost had an acoustic vibe to it. But it was it almost not like Violin Femi, but just, it just, it just had, uh, it just, it felt like it, it moved, it pushed, and, and mm-hmm. it also wasn't all rocked out. It was, it seems kind of a little raw. Uh, not raw in the, in the rock sense, but sort of acoustic raw. I don't know, it just moved me enough, and I kept listening to it over and over again. And uh, that's why I chose it. And then he made a really great video of, of the making of that, which is up on WTFpod.com. You know, he used a, a five string bass, I think, and then he used some toys and he used all kinds of stuff and he had all his equipment out and it was kind of a, a cute, funny thing. And he played it live at a live WTF in New York. Uh, it, it was just a matter of it. It just seemed to, to fit the show. Yeah, it was very neat.
1: Did he do the entire song? Did he add in the, uh, you know, the, the Voiceovers, no, from no, it?
0: my producer Your Brendan producer. McDonald did that. Yeah. We took the music, he did the song, all the music, and then we just, you know, you know folded in the opening gotcha. uh, words and stuff. But it, you know, there's a, a whole, you know, mus- musical riff that you mm-hmm. know, we use at the end too. Yeah, yeah.
1: Where does the Lock the Gates part come from? I it seems familiar, like it's from a song or something.
0: Lock the Gates, yeah. that was, uh, you know, I had a, a part in Almost Famous, the movie Almost Famous. Oh, okay, I was the angry promoter, the promoter yeah. Yeah, and that was uh, the scene. It was from the scene where they leave after the guy gets electrocuted, and I'm like, you know, where are you guys going? And you didn't do your full set. And then I yell after the bus, "Lock the gates!" Uh, so that's pulled from uh, you know my big uh, uh, moment uh, of big screen fame, my powerful you know minute and a half of cinema. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I'll have to go back and check that out. I don't remember that part, but that's cool.
0: Yeah, it's when uh, you know Billy Crudup gets executed on stage mm-hmm. and you know they split and then the promoter comes up like, where are you guys going? You didn't do your full set. And, and they're like, you know, you didn't, you know, I get into that weird argument with Noah, what's his name? And then there's a little fist fight and then they drive off in the bus and I chase the bus on a little golf cart. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's one little scene. I think it was memorable. Yeah. I remember it.
1: <laughs> Lock the gate! <laughs> Here's an intro to the WTF podcast
0: featuring that Lock the Gate part I was just mentioning. Are we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. How? Oh, what the fuck? WTF. And it's also, Yeah. what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for
1: WTF. What the fuck? With
0: Mark Marin.
1: This, uh, Music Live Radio, I'm just trying to capture people's stories, uh, uh-huh. uh, related to music and stuff. And I, you know, you're basically doing the same thing. You're kind of interviewing people, mainly comedians and stuff, but you've interviewed other people. Uh, what makes for a great episode, in your opinion?
0: Well, you know, I'm talking to primarily comedians, writers, some musicians, uh, you know, guys I kind of know, you know, I come from a community of stand-up comics, and it's, it's just my belief that, you know, comics given the, you know, not unlike musicians have, you know, risked their lives to do, to pursue this dream. And, you know, if they, you know, if, if they get enough nourishment from the dream, they'll keep doing it despite the fact that, you know, financially things aren't working out or, or creatively they may not be working out. They may not be where they need to be, but nonetheless, their commitment to it really enables them to live a different life than most other people. You you know, you've, you've sacrificed, uh, you weren't willing to compromise uh, or, or, or surrender your, your dreams for security and, and, and that kind of stuff. And so I believe they're all because of the time they have, they have a certain freedom of mind and, and a freedom of time to think about things and 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 also experience life from a different way. So it's my belief that you know beyond the jokes and, and beyond their character on stage or their music that they're they're pretty interesting people because they don't live the life that most people live. So. My my drive is really to, you know, to get as deep as possible and to get as authentic as possible in the conversation because I, I find that a lot of the people that listen to my show are not necessarily comedy fans, but they like to listen to me and they like to listen to genuine conversation. So if I can get to a point in any interview uh, where it's just flowing and, you know, no one's thinking that they're being interviewed and we're just having a conversation, if that conversation becomes authentic about whatever it is, uh, it's compelling, it doesn't matter who you're talking to. So that's really what I go for. Authentic conversation.
1: Yeah, I think you captured it and do a great job on it. I'm looking forward to many more episodes. I
0: appreciate that, Dan. <laughs> what does the future hold for Mark Marin? I hope good things. After talking to you, once again, put it in my head that perhaps I need to at least get together with a few guys and play music. And, uh, I, I just hope that I don't burn out emotionally. Uh, I've spent a long time doing what I do and I'm finally doing something that I really like to do and it's unique and it's mine and and, you know, there, no one can tell me what to do. And uh, I enjoy doing it. The the real, the real fear, you know, once you get to a certain age, it's not that I'm old, but you know, to really find a groove when you're in your mid forties, you know, I don't, uh, I don't, when I'm busy, I don't really take care of myself. And, and, and because of the nature of what I'm doing on, on the podcast, you know, I'm fairly emotionally raw a mm. lot. Mm. So, uh, my big fear is burnout, but, uh, I'm just going to keep pushing and keep doing the podcast and keep doing the standup. And, uh, if i burn out then so be it <laughs> <laughs> it's just part of the better to burn
1: here. out than fade away right i, I
0: think so yeah <laughs> i I've, i i did uh, i faded away first yeah <laughs> and now <laughs> yeah i got that out of the way i did the fading before i actually uh, became known so that's behind me well good yeah all right thanks mark thank you dan it's a pleasure
1: Thanks again to Mark Marin for stopping by and sharing stories with us. You can find out all about Mark Maron on his website, markmarin.com. That's M-A-R-C-M-A-R-O-N.com. Plenty of CDs available for sale. There's also links to his latest project, which is his WTF podcast. You can get there directly by wtfpod.com. Check it out. It is really excellent podcast. I've been listening to every episode of it. It really does capture some great stories in that podcast. So head on over there. You can go ahead and donate to the site. Keep him in business. Keep him doing what he loves to do. We're going out with the WTF pod theme song, Are We Doing This?, by John Montagna, bass player out of Brooklyn. He'll be featured on an upcoming episode of Music Life Radio as well. Thanks for checking us out. Have a good one.